Thanks for coming back. We have the second episode of our Inventing Knowledge podcast. Uh, this is from the Center for Interacting Minds, Societies, and Environments at Nicholas Copernicus University. Today I'm talking with Francesco Chirpia. Um, he is a political philosopher. Uh, he got his PhD at Sofia University in Bulgaria, where he also did uh, a, a Master on Intercultural Relations and a Bachelor in Political Science. Tell us, what are you working on? What kind of things do you do? First of all, thank you for having me. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks for coming on. And Well, you describe me very well. Um, <laughs> I, I work in the field of political philosophy, mainly in, uh, in, in, in the so-called post-communist Europe, yeah. so Eastern Europe, moving from the Balkans to the, to the South Caucasus and um, the region um, overall. Um, basically, as you said, I have a PhD in, in political philosophy and I focus on um, the legacy of Antonio Gramsci. Um, I'm Italian originally, so I'm much interested in, 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 in studying the perspective from, from the ground, of course. Um, that's why I moved to, to Eastern Europe. I got my PhD in Bulgaria, but I also worked in, uh, in, other, in other countries of the region, uh, like in Armenia and Kosovo. Um, in Serbia, and, and I'm fascinated by the, the post-communist transition, how democratization is happening uh, within these countries. And as you said, I focus now at the Copernicus University here as a postdoc fellow um, in, the, in the issues of memory, which is extremely important. Mm. You know, after, uh, after the 1945, we, in Europe, we got, uh, you know, a, a memory discourse over Europe. And after the collapse of communism, you know, Europe started to deal with new memories, mm -hmm. uh, which are deeply rooted in the, in the history of communism. And, you know, I'm fascinated by the nexus between the post-1945 uh, memory discourse in Europe and the new wave of memories that are arriving in Europe and we are trying to, to come to terms with. What are the different currents that produce this, uh, these memories and the, the different conflicting opinions and these sorts of things, please. Well, let me um, get these questions on, on two sides. First of all, um, on a general level, you know, like the, the Second World War has given to, to Europe a certain memory discourse, hmm. which was the discourse of liberation from Nazi, Nazi fascism in, in Europe. So also in Western Europe, the so-called Western Europe, the, the, the European part of the old continent, which was not under socialism and under communism, um, certain political figures and certain political environment were looking at uh, the memory discourse even with some kind of fascination, right? The liberation of, of, of Eastern Europe from the Nazi regimes and, and, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, so we were completely sure about, you know, who was guilty of committing, you know, the Holocaust, for instance, and the memory discourse was constructed around those, those events. After the collapse of, of, of communism, uh, Europe started to understand, especially in this uh, Europeanizing project eastward, mm -hmm. that there were many memories, including also some human rights abuses or violation of human rights in general against minorities, against segments of societies that were systematically repressed during communism, and they started to enter the memory discourse in Europe. For instance, I'm, I'm, I'm currently working on, this is the second part of the questions, of your questions I'm trying to reply. I'm working, for instance, on the assimilation policy during communist Bulgaria, during the, the 80s. 
against the ethnic Turks and Muslims. Mm -hmm. uh, this is actually very interesting, not only because um, not many people know about, about what happened in Bulgaria during those, those times, but it also challenges the idea of, of and, and the memory discourse in Europe when it comes to, to, to Muslim population and Turkish population, which the, the, the core Europe has always rejected as part of Europe. Um, so you have this kind of um, specific perspectives that are overlapping between each other and, you know, dealing with them, sometimes it could be extremely, extremely complicated. Um, at the same time, this is something that cannot be only approached from Eastern Europe, from Western Europe, you know, this kind of uh, categories, in my opinion, don't make sense. Maybe geographically they do, but we are talking about the, the European memory discourse. And of course, uh, going back to the beginning of my of my answer, you know, when you have the post 1945 and the post 1989, you have certain memories that are going through certain how can I say uh, revaluation. So also those part and those Western European thinkers looking with fascination towards Eastern Europe, they had they have to come to terms with something that happened during the communist time. This is actually interesting, not only for the, the discourse of memory, but also the discourse of politics. Mm -hmm. Just to conclude, um, we have one of the most uh, debated issues in the European Union in comparing Nazism and communism on the same level. Mm -hmm. It was something not acceptable for instance during the 50s or during the 60s, especially for some political thinkers in Western mm -hmm. Europe. Um, now it's more likely to be accepted. Interesting, so we're talking about basically how we remember historical events mm -hmm. in the past and conflicting opinions about what those historical events mean, what they were, et cetera, yeah? That's the memory discourse. And also how they are framed, actually, it's extremely mm -hmm. important. Yeah. Uh, going back to the, to the case of, of Bulgaria, for instance, um, in, in, in the country, every, every year they celebrate the commemoration of the, of the victims of communism, mm. the, the 1st of, Feb of February. Mm. Um, but at the same time, in the places of memory, you know, in, in Sofia, downtown, you don't have much legacy of the, of the assimilation policy towards the Turkish and the Muslim heritage or the Turkish people in general during communist time. Why? Because this is deeply rooted in the national culture of the country. Mm. Um, it goes back to, to a certain policy of nativization of, of communist regimes, mm. which was kind of widespread in, in Eastern Europe. Um, and, and also it's, it's very important in our, on a political ground because we talk about not just inclusion of memories, but also inclusion of identities, mm. which means in turn inclusion of the people who hold and carry out this kind of burden from the past, these memories. Mm -hmm. So also my, my research is, um, is, is concerned with the post-memory. So not only the generation who went through assimilation policies, mm -hmm. violation of human rights, they have been violated mm -hmm. on, a, on, a, on a judicial level, but also those people, so the post-memory generation. So those people who have been growing up in families where these memories have been circulating uh, on a private life, but not on a public discourse. Mm -hmm. And also you have yet another intersectional aspect, you know, the private life and the public life and how certain memories and identities and knowledge are framed in both spheres of interest. Let's say. Okay. And the goal is to kind of bring those private memories to the public? 
Well, uh, as you said, as a political philosopher, I don't give answers. I, I raise questions. Okay. Um, and critical questions for me are, are much more interesting for challenging the status quo. So wherever there is, you know, this is the task of philosophy after, after all. The, you know, the philosophy has to challenge the taboo topics mm -hmm. in society. Um, so I'm, even though I have been working in these in this years also in, in policy projects, you know, where we give recommendations of, of on how to deal with certain uh, sensitive issues in the political sphere. Let's say that um, we, I, I'm, I'm currently trying to debunk certain myths, not only on a, on a, on a national level, Bulgarian, Kosovo, or Armenian, Ukrainian, uh, whatever, but also on an European level, which is actually something much more interesting. Mm -hmm. And what are the, what, for an example, what, what would be a myth that you're debunking? Well, um, the role of Islam in, in Europe, I think this is something extremely, extremely important, um, especially because I think it's very sensitive right now. We, we, we deal in the European context with, you know, with the Muslim diaspora, and most of the time we, we perceive you know, the Muslim diaspora like the, the Muslim migration or uh, you know, the coming of refugees and newcomers you know, from Asia, from the Middle East, as something other to Europe. But in this kind of reflection, let's say, the European reflections, we have a process of othering. So mm -hmm. we other the other. Um, because you know, they don't belong to Europe, they are just coming here because they are economic migrants. But in this kind of reflection, as I said before, you know, they, we, for, we forget that there are Muslim people coming from Europe. They are from Europe. Um, imagining, for instance, the European Union right now is trying to enlarge the project of the European Union towards the East. And uh, sooner or later, we are going to have certain countries such as Bosnia, Herzegovina, Albania or Kosovo or also Bulgaria. I mean, who is already in the European Union, mm -hmm. whose 10% of the population is belonging to Turkic or Muslim background and heritage. So we have already the so-called European Muslims, and we have also those European Muslims of second and third generation, people who are were born and raised in Europe, and they all the time navigate between, you know, uh, their everyday dilemma. You know, they come from Muslim families who are not understood as Europeans, but they are Europeans because they were born in Europe and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So this is something, it's a, it's a myth to debunk in terms of, you know, understanding how um, certain identities have been historically and systematically discarded from the European canon mm -hmm. while they were still present within the European canon. Mm -hmm. uh, not only something that concerns the East, let's say, but also the West. I come from Sicily, basically, you know, and mm -hmm. Sicily has been dominated for, for many centuries by, by Arabs and, you know, Islam was there. But also think about the southern part of Spain, for instance, you know, which is one of the most touristic destinations for many Europeans. Yeah. The, the history of what I've been talking about is mm. is there. You know, you don't need to, yeah. to look for it up somewhere else. What are your main projects here at NCU? Like, what are you? What would you say you're working on? Um, I'm I'm um, right now. I'm I'm conducting interviews with um, with Turkish and, and with Turkish people from from Bulgaria living in Bulgaria, and I'm questioning them um, about the, the the quality of their memories. Um, what do they know about about the, the, the assimilation campaign during the 80s? Um, and it's interesting because they were not born do, during the, those events. 
and but you know they still have memories because these memories as i said before you know have been circulating within the families or most of the time i'm questioning them how they came across these memories i mean because most of the time since you don't have experience there should be some objects or some photo or some space or place of memory where you start realizing that your family went through this and that event and so on and so forth so it's fascinating to to understand also certain aspect of the bulgarian society of mm. course because my my main project is about you know the the, the post-communist bulgarian memory let's say is that um, your main interest i also wanted to ask you about what are these memories what would you say your main interest is uh the, the main interest is that you know um after the after communist bulgaria didn't really uh, officialize you know a commission on on communism and communist um policies and had in mind that many of the political figures on a national level, they come from the communist experience. This is something extremely common in Eastern Europe, you know. Uh, communist leaders have been uh, recycling themselves, especially on a local level, uh, you know, just uh, remaking themselves in a the position to, 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 keep, uh, to keep power and to keep their own positions for ruling over the society. Right. You know, in Eastern Europe we have the problem of oligarchs who are mainly everywhere. Uh, of course, this is, I don't want to, to hear, you know, depict the Eastern Europe as, you know, the non-democratic region. This is something that we have, unfortunately, we live in a time of liberal democracies, right? Um, but what is interesting in, uh, in, in, in Bulgaria is that many people don't know what really happened during those days, especially the young generation. Yeah. And the post-memory, as, you know, the term used by Marin Hirsch, who is, um, I think, the, the, the the, the most known uh, figure in academia who introduced this, this topic, she introduced it for the studying of the post-memory generation of the Holocaust, so, you know, Jewish mm. um, people who are basically around the world, not only based in Israel or in Europe, but also like in, in the US, for instance, and how they, uh, these kind of post-memories can tell us about certain things that have not settled yet. Um, so when I'm interviewing um, people from, from Bulgaria, unfortunately we live in time of pandemic, so we, I have to do it you know, over Skype or Zoom. Uh, most of the time they, they, they reflect on the fact that their memories have been constructed at home, you know, while the grandfathers were discussing about certain things, mm -hmm. um, or at school for instance. Um, this is a long story related to, you know, to, the, to the curricula that uh, the Bulgarian um, uh, in, in the Bulgarian schools are, are used, especially in literature, in history. Uh, most of the time, you know, these people told me that about the events that they were listening to at home, they didn't have much space to discuss them at school uh, because there was almost nothing on the, on, on the history textbooks, for instance. And now it's something that is appearing and, you know, trying to, to find space in the, in the society, not only at school. There are some cultural events that are, you know, raising awareness about what happened. But, you know, still, this process is still ongoing. Mm -hmm. And uh, we don't need to, to talk only to those people who have been, how to say, uh, discriminated and went through uh, terrible things during the 80s in, in Bulgaria. Uh, but also... Uh, we have to, to talk with, with the post-memory generation, with those people who have been growing up in Bulgaria in this kind of, you know, limbo, you know, in this liminal space uh, between the private and then the public. The private where they have memories and the public where they, they don't have 
um, memory is displayed everywhere. Most of the time, if you go to Sofia, through, through, you go through the country, Bulgaria, you have many communist uh, heritage still, you know, in, in, in the country. Like, I'm interesting how people reflect on them and how they deal with them. What is the storytelling? not even touching academic stuff, but what is the storytelling around these memories? Are the young generation aware of what this uh, monument stands for and what is the meaning be behind it? Because it says a lot also about the, uh, the political life which is lived and why, for instance, Bul Bulgarian youth doesn't engage in politics, even though the, the city center is very political, you know, it, it's the reflection of, of the past in the present for the generation to come in the future as well. So you have also this interesting aspect, you know, the future, the, the present and, and the past that are somehow interconnected between each other. Mm. And what is it in particular about the Bulgarian case that makes you interested in that? Like, I feel like as you're from Italy and you did a PhD in Bulgaria, I don't know how long you were in Bulgaria, but do you know better than them? Do you feel that you know better than them what happened? Um, well, I mean, since I've, I spent a uh, couple of years studying on the issues, maybe I might know more than, than them. But most of the time, these are memories that are not verbalized. Um, so it doesn't mean that I know more or less than someone else. But it's about that, you know, it's about speaking up. Um, which at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, it's an issue for in the democratic arena. You know, you need to speak up in order to participate and to contribute uh, to, to, to democracy, to democratic space. If you don't do it, you know, everything is, silenced and you know you, you don't really have space to discuss about these issues but even though it's not verbalized you know certain places of memories they have the memory there it's there you just need to to discover it and to start verbalizing it you know it's a matter of language as well mm -hmm. in order to let it introduce in the public debate mm -hmm. once again it's an inconspicuous phenomenon yet extremely relevant for the Bulgarian society because also Bulgaria as a part of Eastern Europe, whatever it means, you know, these are countries that are depicted as countries still in transition. Mm -hmm. You know, they're transiting. Um, to, to, for, for many, they don't know the direction <laughs> to, to where they are transiting and, 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 you know, what is the final state of this transition time. Um, for, for many, it looks like an endless transition, but, you know, the, the, the discourse on memory and on politics and the recognition of certain identities is, the, is still part of the, of the democratic transition. And if something is not settled yet, you know, it's time to, to discuss, never too late from, from this point of view. So what makes uh, Bulgaria unique? Um, well, uh, you have many commonalities with other, with other Eastern European countries, but also something unique is that, um, you know, while in the post-Yugoslavian countries you, you, you have still people discussing about issues of the past, in Bulgaria there are many people who refrain from talking openly about those, 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 those events. Sorry? Is that true? Yeah. I don't know, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, like, people people are more likely to, to discuss about certain other things. Um, but also there are other people who discuss about this and have been discussing, have been researching about this, these issues. But once again, we, we go back to Gramsci, not about the hegemony and subalternity. If your voice is subaltern, so it's not recognized yet, you, know, you have to do something in order to make it recognizable. Um, and doable as well for the generation to come. Because, of course, uh, a, pr a problem and a mistake is that, you know, overwhelming the young generation with information and events. 
there are many things through through many activities where you can engage young people. You know, nor formal education is one of the of the best instrument for engaging people in order to let them be aware of what happened. And of course, it's not just so a matter. Who determines of, what happened? Well, I think it's a matter of historians. Um, first of all, um, we have archives um, to, to, to to have access to. Um, so I think that you know archive work is extremely extremely important for for doing that. Um, it's interesting because you know you you said like who is supposed to 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 create this kind of narrative, you know. That's uh, kind of what you study, yeah? That, That's yeah. What I feel like. Well, well, I mean, in general, we do have data available for us. You know, if you if you Google some some events, you know, in, in Eastern Europe, you, you can find a lot of information, a, a lot of literature work, or um, scholars who have been delving into this kind of specific issues. Um, but at the same time, you have this kind of discrepancy. You know, you have a lot of work, nobody talks about it. Or you know, it's somehow you know other issues are overwhelming them, and you know sometimes it seems to be more like a blaming activity. You know, so people feel to be accused of having done something that they don't really remember or they don't really um, deal with anymore because there are other kind of problems. This is also that happens um, among the, the the marginalized communities. You know, who don't really talk about what happened in the past because they have to deal with something more important nowadays. Um, so, you know, you have also this kind of division between, you know, those people who are really into, the, into studying this kind of stuff. And for me, one of the, of the paradoxes is that, am I supposed to speak on behalf of a community I don't belong to? Uh, this is this is uh, yeah yeah exactly this is what what they do so, so that's that's why I, I like engaging with them I like talking to, with with them and you know asking what possible permission to use uh, their knowledge and if my work is worthy of note and of being published for instance in their eyes um, I, so far I have uh, I have got positive answers and the fact that someone is talking about them for for them it's also you know a matter of recognition not only on a national level, but on the European level, because there are outsiders. So I'm, I'm neither Bulgarian nor a member of these communities. Mm -hmm. So for them, it's about, you know, someone is talking about it. So it, not, nothing, um, not, not, not I'm working on it. So okay. I, I can understand. Do you interviews in Bulgaria or uh, Well, I touch upon sensitive issues, so I'm more com confident with, with English. Yeah. So I don't want to, you know, to be misunderstood or to ask something in Bulgaria that can could be misleading. Yeah. Um, you know, because af after all, you know the person you are interviewing, um, but you don't know the history about it. That's why you are interviewing. And does anyone know, know English in Bulgaria? Uh, actually, yeah, it's a very widespread, especially the, among the, the young generation. You know, Bulgarian language is not spoken. It's not a mainstream language. Let's say it's not like. Among the Slavic languages, it's not like Russian, right? Where you can go in many different places and people, especially the old generation, speaks Russian. Um, it, so Bulgarian, the, 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 the young Bulgarians, they have learned English in order to communicate yeah. and in general. Uh, in, in general. I, I think that especially in the urban areas, you know, English is quite... Yeah, normal. Yeah, yeah. kind of normal, I have to say so. Yeah. yeah. Sounds good. Do you think it affects your results at all? <laughs> Sorry, I'm being a little critical. Ooh. I mean, if you don't talk to the old generation, um, do you think they are the ones? Well, but even even if the if they have you know some more I don't know political views on on the events, 
that happens here sometimes. I have to say that post-memory is more political than memory. Um, why? Uh, because in my opinion, when you have memory of some events, you have experience. And you have to deal with those experiences. Maybe they, they, I'm asking about experiences you don't really want to remember, you just want to, to, to go over them. Yeah. Right? Well, that most, be why they don't talk about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, most of the time this is the case. Yeah. Um, also because you have some cooperation, partnership, I mean, it's very complicated. It, it becomes immediately political. But, and that's why the political here is kept. Um, you know, away from the from the discussion because once it enters the political sphere, everything is going to be it can be compromised. You know, it can compromise figures, historical figures, uh, political figures. Um, but post memory actually it's more interesting because it's extremely political because it's about the narrative that you uh, that you create in order to justify some historical events. And if you have stuff, I mean, if you have if your family has been suffering from those events, you know, you get, you get politicized. You know, your memory is not based on experiences because you were not born, maybe, but, but basically that experience becomes political in the way that you have to take sight. You know, even remembering is a political action. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's a matter of politics. That's why most of the time we, we talk about memory politics, because Commemorating, so memorizing a certain event with a specific narrative, it's a matter of political construction and how you basically frame it. Hegemonic. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Or perhaps could be hegemonic within the subaltern groups. Uh, most of the time, you know, those people who speak on behalf of a community which was targeted or discriminated, mm -hmm. um, they and basically they speak in praise of the community they belong to. Most of the time, they are not recognized by the so the other people within the community. Why? Because they are already the official voices. And what is official? Sometimes, you know, it could be uh, could could spread a distorted version of what happened in the past. One of the things that I would like to share, actually, you know, many Turkish people I have interviewed, they have grandmother, grandmothers and grandparents who have been helping the communist officials to, to, uh, to implement this assimilation policy in Bulgaria. The assimilation policy was happening through name changing. So uh, they were changing the name in order to let them become Bulgarian or more Bulgarian, let's say. It's a long story, historically speaking. Um, but it, they come across this dilemma because now they remember when they said, yes, we're going to change our name, nothing else is going to happen. But then they knew what happened and what they've been suffering from. So they have this kind of uh, cognitive dissonance, you know, to remember something they have contributed to. So it's, you know, it's like remembering something bad that happened to you in the past, but at the end of the day, you have also contributed. Also, you have helped some communist officials to, to change the name of other people from your community in order to pacify the situation, but basically the situation was not going to be pacified. Actually, it was going to, to be even, uh, you know, to worsen and, and, and to escalate in a, in a, neg in a negative way. So the, the post-memory is giving to me the idea that they, those people who have been targeted by those policy assimilation campaigns, they have to deal a lot with the problem of memorizing and commemorating certain events. Mm -hmm. That's why many say that it's very difficult to talk about these things and most of the time they avoid talking about these things. Mm -hmm. uh, sounds good. Sounds interesting. And what's the future of your work? 
you have a, like a big vision, something you're trying to achieve, a paper that you want to write, a book that you want to write in the future? I'm, I'm right now it's your, your main project maybe, but just the general. Well, in general, I'm, I'm willing to, to, to work in this you know, intersection between politics. What would you like to achieve with your career? Uh, well, um, I mean, working in academia is, you know, for, for a postdoc is always, you know, the, the big dream. But most of the time, you know, academia, academic space is shrinking more and more. So I'm also thinking that, and this is, in my opinion, something that academics have to, 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 to realize and come to terms with that, you know, there is, only, there is not only academia as a space where you can contribute. There is the civil society over there. And most of the time, you know, uh, we have to bring knowledge from academia outside academia right. uh, otherwise it, it, it becomes you know just a um, philosophical exercise for telling and writing about all the books that you've been reading but at the end of the day you know it's not uh, teleological it doesn't have a name right. a final name so if your research can contribute to the society this is even better and um, this is my main goal at the end of the day um, i don't know if in academia or in civil society or some other organizations um, but if, the most important thing is actually to bring together people, not only from academia, so people who basically write papers, monographs, books in general, but also those people who are um, the target group to, to whom this memory, uh, this knowledge, I'm sorry, are going to, to, be, uh, to be handled. So, in general, we need to, to think about the fact that you, you should also look beyond academia, not only within academia. Mm -hmm. Academia could be an option, of course, could be like a space where you can keep working, but not, it cannot limit yourself. But you know? no, I'm not saying your career or the trajectory of your What do you want to achieve with your work? Maybe in terms of what? In terms of like research outcomes or? Yeah, well, so maybe something like more identification for the subaltern opinions in general. Well, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, there are in Bulgaria, not only like on a European level, but also in Bulgaria, there are many scholars and postdocs and also PhDs who are working on these issues. So my idea is like to contribute to this kind of um, field of studies. And I think it could be also interesting because I'm, once again, I'm neither from Bulgaria, I'm not Bulgarian, nor from those kind of communities. So, you know, I can also bring outside the discourse, uh, outside Bulgaria, because at the end of the day, you know, uh, we started to talk about this, this, this kind of dichotomy between, you know, the European discourse and something that is not yet introduced into the European discourse. So if I can contribute to it, mm. I'm willing to do it. In your ideal world, would you go back to Italy and kind of work on the subaltern in Italy? Maybe how World War II was thought about in a post-memory way, or well, in his contribution. Uh, um, I, I don't know actually, you know, and especially because we're living under a pandemic, you know, I think that our projects have been somehow falling apart. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm very happy for reason to be here. I was yeah. finishing my PhD and I got this opportunity to come here to keep working, even though we live under pandemic restrictions and, you know, it's complicated for, for all of us. Um, but in general, I don't know what the future will, will be. Uh, I, I'm more oriented to work on a daily basis and then to see. Huh. Uh, because I feel I mean, that we create the future. 
Yeah. So we are the ones who determine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely, definitely. You know, like you, you are the the, the the maker of your future. Definitely. This yeah. is this is what it is. And maybe you know, long long term projects they they cannot find space in the in the future because you know we I think that the pandemic has taught us that you know thinking about the future too much when the present is uncertain I think that we need to to, to fix the present in order to to get prepared for the future whatever the future will be 